Moving on today, we're going back to our series in Ephesians. If you've got a Bible, could you um, turn to Ephesians chapter 1? If you don't have a Bible here, there should be a number of kind of ones around on um, the table that you can grab. Ephesians chapter 1. Okay, we're going to actually finish chapter 1 today. It feels like we've been in Ephesians quite a number of weeks already and we're actually going to finish the first chapter today and then move on to chapter 2, hopefully, uh, next week. What we've looked at so far is the letter Paul the Apostle writing to the church in Ephesus, which is in modern-day Turkey. He's writing to a church which is a dynamic centre, a big cultural centre, particularly known for the, the um, temple of the goddess uh, Diana, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, um, a great um, hotbed for spiritual powers, and magic and all that kind of stuff, a great place of trade and influence. And Paul spent time there, three years there, planted a church, and through doing that affected the entire region. And later on he writes a letter to that church, which we've been studying, and we've gone through the first half of chapter 1, and we've looked at a number of themes. The first kind of section of chapter 1, after the initial greetings, is actually one long sentence. And it's one long outpouring of praise by the Apostle Paul um, to the wonderful God that he serves, the same God we serve. And he starts by talking about this God as Trinity. talks about being Father, Son and Holy Spirit, which is a key um, foundational doctrinal truth for us as Christians, that we serve one God, but he is three persons, Father, Son and Spirit, and each person is fully God and uh, we worship that God, then, then through that opening section he, he brings out some major themes of uh, Christian truth. The first one being election, the fact that we were chosen by God before the foundation of the world to be his. And this wasn't based on anything we'd done, any merit in us, any goodness in us. God just chose us to be his people. It was all on the activity, the initiative, the grace, the mercy, the love of God, and he pulled us into himself, united us with Christ um, to be his. And then it says we were also adopted as children. So we weren't just chosen, we were chosen to be his children. And as Christians we are children of God. He is our Father. And there is that intimacy of relationship. Jesus modelled it as he walked the earth. He taught his disciples to pray, our Father in heaven. He used a radical word to describe Father, the word Abba, the intimacy of a child with their dad. And he said we should approach God in that same way. And we have that wonderful kind of blessing of being children of God. Later we looked at um, redemption and forgiveness. The fact that we were once slaves to sin, we were in bondage in slavery and we could not get ourselves out of it. We were bound by sinful desires, desires to go away from God, to stand opposed to God, but God has brought us out of slavery. We are now free from that and we can free to be his children. We have been forgiven. The debt that was before us for the things we had done wrong has been paid for in Christ and we are now completely free. And then he finishes that section, Paul, by talking about this wonderful plan God has to unite all things in Jesus um, for eternity, forever, and particularly focuses on the, the racial divide between Jews and Gentiles, Jews and non-Jews, and actually says that was one of the greatest cultural ethnic divides in history, but actually says in Christ that will actually be 
be done away with and actually we will all stand together before God and that has always been his plan from eternity past to eternity future to have one people for himself from every nation, tribe and language and people group. And that is um, Paul's kind of outpouring at the beginning of the, the letter of Ephesians. And if you read it, it's only um, kind of 10, 11 verses but there is so much packed in there and that's why we took a while to go through it and there is some great truth there. And then as Paul gets to the end of it and he picks, we pick it up in... Um, verse 15. The first few words there at verse 15 says, for this reason. And what Paul is doing is he links the two sections. He's saying he's praised God for all these wonderful things that God has done in our lives and we we can enjoy as Christians. And he says, for that reason. And he's actually now going to launch into a prayer of thanks to God and also making some requests. And this section, again, is actually one long sentence in the, the language. So effectively, by the time you get to the end of chapter one, you've done the initial greetings and he's written two sentences. Um, a one, of, a pr- a one of an outpouring of praise and the other one a prayer of thanksgiving and petition to God to make a request. So I'm going to read from verse 15. Uh, For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his inglorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. According to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, him who fulfills all in all. Okay, big idea. A big idea we're going to look at today is the power of God that is available to us as believers. That's what we're going to be kind of honing in on, the power of God that is available to us as believers. That's what Paul prays for his people. There's other things there we're going to look up, but the major theme is this power that is available to believers as they live their lives in this plural, multicultural city of Ephesus, but it is also applicable to us as we live our lives here in the same kind of city um, of Birmingham. And uh, the Paul begins his prayer, he begins with thankfulness. He says, I've, uh, he begins with thankfulness, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love to all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for your prayer. There's, he begins his prayer with thankfulness and then he's going to talk about a regularity of that and that is a fantastic way when we, to start praying. He looks back at what God has done in people's lives and he's written it out in this section and his immediate response is a thanks of praise. And I don't know what your prayers are like, when you start praying to God, do they begin with thankfulness? And I know that for me, when I, I start to pray, it's one of the things I can often overlook in my desire to get to the wards that, Lord, I need help with. And then out comes a list. I, you know, I need help with this and that, and I need you to provide this, and I need you to do that. And I kind of get onto the shopping list of things, God, I want you to move in. And they're not bad. God asks us to come to him and make our requests and make our, our, um, our requests boldly before him. But actually, I think it's important that we should always start with a, a heart of thankfulness. And Paul does it here, and he says, um, God, for two things with the Ephesian um, believers. He says he's heard of their faith in Jesus, 
and he's heard of their love for the saints, the church. So he talks about faith in Christ, love and faith in Christ, and then that outworks into his love to, their love towards the church. And that's a, a wonderful pl- thing to be known for. It would be great if we as a church were known in the future. They say, what, what's that church that meeting the girls' school like? You know, what's real life church? Well, they love Jesus and they love one another. Okay, I can start with that. You know, I hope there's more, but that's a good place to start. And Paul thanks, this church, um, thanks God for this church, saying they love him and they love one another. Um, and that kind of, I think there's a good order there. We start by loving Jesus first, and out of that flows a love for one another that then should flow out into a wider love of those um, around us who aren't of the household of faith, those um, who don't know Jesus. And Paul says, I want to thank, you, thank God for that. But he also says he does it with regularity. He says... Um, I do not cease to give thanks. So it's, it's thankfulness followed by regularity of that. So actually it's not just a, I say thank you once. Actually it's a, it's a constant thing he does. Now I don't think it's constant in terms of every moment of every hour of every day he's thanking God. I think it's just that when he prays there is a generalness um, for what God has been doing. And I know in my life when I'm praying, I'm, I'm trying to do this more and more, be thankful. Um, in what I, I pray for. I have a kind of, a, in my journal, I have a prayer plan that I pray through kind of, it's five days a week, knowing I probably won't do it every day, so I limit myself to five. And I have things I want to pray for each day, the church um, and, and the like, and I have my family across the top of all of them. And I always start every day by thanking God for things. So the fact that my family are at the top, I thank God for them, I thank God what's going on in the church, what's going on in life. As many things as I can think of to cultivate a heart of thankfulness. Because I don't know about you, sometimes it's not easy to be thankful because the things of life can come against you and you sometimes focus on the problems because they're looming and they're big that actually we can forget to be thankful over the things that are happening kind of with regularity and we can um, get um, familiarity can breed contempt in that way and so actually I thought if I try and do this every day it will hopefully develop a heart of thankfulness and as I came to study this I thought hey if Paul can do it you know, and that's important I think I should make some effort and even when we, we, we pray with Levi we're training him in the ways to go, we pray with our little boy every night and we always start with, you know, what can we say thankful for, thank you to God for for the day? Now this can go, when you're doing it with a two-year-old, this can go anyway. I mean, we thank God for belly buttons and rhinos and biscuits and I'm just... But he wants to be thankful for them, so I'm going to go with that. But occasionally, you know, you guys, you guys come out with it too. He thanks for his friends and he thanks for granny and grandpa. And occasionally thank you for daddy as well. And so we always start with that. But whenever we pray with him, we say, we're going to start with thank you. What can we be thankful for today? And even with him, I'm thinking, we want to get that in first. So we want to be a thankful people and start with thanks and do it with a regularity for it. Um, and then if we move on, Paul then makes requests um, um, of God for his people. Now, as he's making requests, he, he starts by praying to the Trinitarian God. He comes back there. It begins, verse 3, the beginning of that first section, he recognises God as Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. He does the same here as he's coming to pray. He's praying to the Father in heaven, to his Son, Jesus Christ, and also to the Holy Spirit. He actually talks about the Spirit of Wisdom there. That is a reference to the Holy Spirit. If you go to Isaiah 11, it talks about the spirit of wisdom um, coming and resting upon the Messiah. It's a reference to the Holy Spirit. It's just another one of the kind of the names he has given, um, that he is, he, is, he is recognizing the God to whom he is praying to in its, its trinity. And it's, it's just wonderful to keep that in our mind. We, there is one God, but he is three persons and each person fully God. And that is something that we, we for us. But he prays that they may know God, which is an interesting, when you think about it, 
He's praying to God that we may know him. And so the implication of that is you need God to know God. We cannot know God on our own. We cannot know God by ourselves. All we have are three pounds of meat between our ears. That's it. And, and, and it's not enough to grasp the infinite nature and character of God by ourselves. We are fallen human beings and we can't do it. And so Paul is saying, God, help me know you. And that's a wonderful place of humility to be. Even in our salvation with election, it wasn't us who chose God. God first chose us, caused us to be born again, and through that then we responded to God. And so it's just coming back to that position, actually, God, we need you. We need you to work in our lives. And Paul recognises that, and he prays for a couple of things for them. He says that they might have revelation, which literally means unveiling unveils something to us that we cannot see by ourselves and he prays that we would, they would comprehend something about God. God reveals something to them about himself. He would also pray that they would, he would, they would not acknowledge what has already happened in Christ. Revelation in the knowledge of him. Something that's already, all the stuff that Paul's already prayed, already talked about in Ephesians 1. He's saying, I want you to understand that and grasp that. And I don't know about you, I don't know if you've heard truth in sermons or in, sung them in songs again and again. You hear certain things again and again. God loves you kind of things. God saved you. And all the myriad of, of truth in the Bible. But then you hear the same thing again and there is a deeper revelation. There is a deeper understanding. You suddenly hits you again. You suddenly think, wow, I hadn't seen that element, that aspect before. That that truth is now fuller in my life. And Paul is praying that. You may know it, but I want you to have a deeper understanding of it, a deeper revelation of it. And it's why that you can hear the gospel over and over and over again. And every time you hear it, you're undone and like, goodness gracious. And if the truth is, if you ever get to a position where you're hearing Christian truth again and again and you're bored with it, rest assured you're at fault. Because the truth isn't. The truth is still the wonderful good news of the grace of God and it should affect us and move us. And Paul is coming back to God and saying, help us understand that. Help us grasp that as a church. I can't do it on my own. I need your spirit of wisdom and revelation. He also asks for knowledge. It's interesting, the choice of words. The place like Ephesus, full of all of its kind of um, sort of uh, spirituality and kind of spells and knowledge and all that stuff, it was known for that place of where you would have arcane knowledge, occultic knowledge. And Paul actually says, no, true knowledge is knowledge of God. And it comes against the false knowledge of the world. So Paul is praying that the church would have knowledge of him in truth, true knowledge of God, because that stands opposed to the wisdom of the world, the knowledge of the world, which is false in compared to God. And he's saying, grasp what God has already done in your life. Often we can pray for new things, but actually do we often pray, God, reveal to me what you've already done. Help me grasp what's already happened in your life. Give me kind of confidence on what you've already done in the past and and open it up to me. I know um, for Mel and I coming here to plant the church, we always had a conviction that God had called us to leave where we were and where we were was a good place. We, we had good jobs, we had a good house, we were in a good church, we had good friends. There was nothing bad about it, but God said, it's time to move on, I want you to go to this place and start something new for me. And so we came here to do that um, in a confidence of God, but that confidence was based out of a call from God, but that call of God was fortified on what we've done in our lives. As we got prepared to move here and thinking, is anyone actually going to come with us? You know, at one point it was me, Mel, 
and she was pregnant. And so there was kind of three of us, two and a half, three of us, and that was it. And it was like, we're going, you know, we're going, God has called us. I thought, is anyone going to come? Is, is anything going to happen? And then gradually people started saying, we'll come with you. And then we've arrived here and people started to be added. Um, but it was all fortified by what God had done in the past because he had a track record in our life of being faithful and, and providing for us when we needed it, coming through the good, giving us exactly what we needed when we need, teaching us things, teaching us about him, teaching us patience, teaching us endurance, all these kind of things. So when we actually came to do this and move here, we knew what God had done. And we kept looking back and saying, God, you're, you're faithful. You've done it, which gave us encouragement for the future. And Paul is praying for these guys, understand what God's done for you, what you've already received, and that will help you as you deal with the present and move on into the future. And so it's good to remember the past, remember specific way God has broken into your life, but also in kind of general truths that, that God has acted in your behalf, that you are chosen, that you are his children, that you've been redeemed and forgiven, are wonderful things to dwell on and get going around because they fortify you for now and what God calls you into the future. And when the future looks uncertain, I don't quite know what's going to happen, that will, that will hold you and, and keep you safe and moving on with him. And Paul asks, there's a knowledge, and he says, having the, verse 18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Now the image there is the heart, biblically speaking, the image of the heart is basically the centre of your will, your mind, your emotion. It doesn't necessarily refer to the physical pump in your chest. Here it's talking about almost the sum total of kind of who you are, your, your spiritual, your emotional, your mental life, the seat of where you might of make your decisions and who you are. And so that's what he's saying. I want that to be, um, there to be an enlightening going on. Um, and then the image there is kind of like a light switch sort of being turned on and a light being shone on something so you can see it. Um, the Amplified Bible translates that verse by having the eyes of your heart flooded with light. And that kind of, oh, I can now see. And I don't know if you've ever been into a room in the dark and you can kind of see indistinct shapes and you think, well, is that a table or is that a chair? And you can see things on the wall. That might be a picture, but I can't see what the picture is. And is that carpet on the floor? And what's that over there? And then you flick the light switch on, and suddenly there is definition and depth and clarity. It's like, I can see it. I know exactly where, where everything is. I won't fall over everything. I can see it all. Um, and that's the kind of the images. Because he's saying, enlighten them. What was once distinct make clearer, make sharper, so people can understand it. Um, and it talks later in actually Ephesians 4 about um, eyes being darkened. And Paul again prays that they, the eyes would be seeing. And so Paul is asking that there be something, almost an internal seeing, so not seeing with the eyes, but seeing with the heart, that actually a grasping of faith of what God has done, that there would be that greater understanding of all the things that God has done in their life, all the privileges, all the, um, the blessings he's given you. Because it says at the beginning of that first section that we've received every spiritual blessing, doesn't it? And he's actually saying, understand it, grasp it, see it for what it is. So there's a kind of enlightening of the heart that Paul is praying for. And then he makes three specific requests to God based on that, that he wants these people to grasp and understand. And the first two I'm going to go for very quickly because we've actually covered a lot of the material already and the third one I'll major on. And, he said, and the three things he asks are one's based on the past, one's based on the future and one is based on the present. Zero in on the one based on the present. The one in the past is he, he wants them to understand all that God has given because it says the hope to which you have been called. That's a past thing. And he's praying, he's praying God, I want you to understand 
what God has called you to, what God has done in the past. What's that hope that he has given you already, which effectively goes back to that previous section, all the previous sermons we've looked at. If you've missed any of them, they're on our website. You can go and kind of download them, have a little listen. But basically God has said he's saved you, he's called you, you're his children, he's redeemed you, which is he's brought you out of slavery, he's forgiven you, he's brought you into this new, um, new kind of people he is, he is calling out from the nations. And he said that, it says in that section, it was a mystery which has now been revealed. God has chosen to reveal it, that we are part of this, where Jew and Gentile will come together in a new, uh, a new people. And then he says also, he says, um, the inheritance that you're going to possess, you want to understand, now that's future Inheritance is a future thing that you will one day come into. So Paul says, I want you to understand the past, the hope you've been called to, but I also want you to understand the inheritance that is coming to you in the future. Um, And so there is that Jew and Gentile will be brought together, they will be God's treasure, and they will be a people, and they will be with him forever. That's the hope, the future that they have in mind, um, that one day we will see God face to face, we will be with him together, we will worship before his throne. Um, And he even says at the end of that first section uh, about the Holy Spirit coming in verse 13 and 14, he says, how how did you know that inheritance, you're going to get that inheritance? What have you received as the guarantee that that is to come? And it's the Holy Spirit. You've actually received God the Spirit in your life as the seal, deposit, guarantee of what is to come. And so Paul is saying, I want you to understand what is behind, I want you to understand what is in the future, and I want you to grasp them, and that will help you with the present. But it's not just, just those two things to bookend it, it's what's going on in the middle. And actually Paul spends more time talking about what's in the middle. So there's all that God has given, I want you to understand, all that God um, has promised in the future, and then there's all that God has provided for you right now. And it says... Um, the hope you which have been called, the glorious inheritance in the saint, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. And I said the big idea is actually what the power available to us as believers. And this is where Paul, the last goes on about this and outlines it because it's the most relevant thing for those believers right there and then, that actually the power of God is available to you now in all that you do and all that you're involved in. And he says, is the measurable greatness of his power towards who? Us who believe. And so there's actually, if you are a believer here, this power is for you. And it describes it as immeasurable greatness of his power. And I don't know, on a scale, how do you measure immeasurable? It's beyond the scale. It, it go, you, you can't. It's immeasurable. And so that power that Paul describes as immeasurable greatness is towards us who believe. And it comes in a contrast with the power of what was available in Ephesus, the power of the goddess Diana and her temple, the power of all the kind of magicians and um, people in the, in the city, the ones who would have spells and charms and the like, and the spirituality that was around, it was a set against that power. He says the immeasurable greatness of God's power is far above what you're dealing with and what you will face in your day-to-day life. And it says this power was worked when it rose Jesus from the dead. So let's just think about that. Jesus was on the cross, he died, he was laid in the tomb, three days later he rose from death. He rose from death. Even just that, that one bit, he was dead and now he's alive, is a, an impressive amount of power. No one can do that. 
You know, we have surgeons and doctors who can save you from near death sometimes. And they have skills and they have medicines and drugs that they can do that. But they can't save you if you're dead. If you're dead, it's too late. <laughs> you know, no matter which hospital you go to and you have the world's crack team of doctors and surgeons, you can't save a dead person. They're dead. It's gone. It's too late. But he says this immeasurable power was worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. So the first thing is the power of God is death-raising power and that's impressive for a start. But it's actually, it wasn't, it, when Jesus rose from the dead, he didn't just rise from the dead. He had a transformed, renewed body. There was something different about him in a physical person. He had this resurrected, transformed body. In Ephesians, uh, sorry, in 1 Corinthians 15, it describes um, when we are going to be raised, we're raised off the pattern of Christ. And it says, what was sown people will be raised imperishable. What was sown corruptible will be raised incorruptible. And so there's actually, God, when God raised Christ from the dead, there wasn't just he came back to life from death. The body he had was this incorruptible body, this eternal resurrection body, which enabled him to do crazy things. And actually, in Corinthians, it says, we are going to be raised after that pattern. So there was a power that didn't just raise him from the dead, which is impressive enough, but transformed his body into this resurrection a body. Um, and then it's, it goes on to say that he then raised from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places. Jesus ascended to the Father in heaven and is seated at his right hand. The seating is interesting because that kind of denotes a completeness of his work. He sat down, finished, um, finished, job done. Um, but the position of right hand displays uh, favour, authority and power. It was used kind of as an Old Testament image. We sat at the right hand of the king that was a position of kind of great authority and power and you had the favour and the ear of the king um, in ruling and Christ has that position. It's a position of victory over his enemies and it says that he um, is a mission mission accomplished on earth and he is far above all rule and power uh, and authority and every name be named. And so all the powers that were on display in Ephesus, spiritual powers, he is far above them. He is far above earthly powers in terms of governments and armies, which would have been Rome was the superpower of the day. They're the biggest, the best army. They were the ones who were governing. But he was far above all um, of that. It says he was even above every name, which is interesting. Who would have been the number one name at the time? It would have been Caesar. Caesar is Lord. That's to proclaim. Actually, Christ is Lord. His name is above that. He is far above all power. It even refers to dominions as well, talking about other spiritual powers, dark spiritual powers, the devil and his forces. He's actually, he is above that as well. He has complete authority. And the fact Paul goes on and on about it and keeps listing, he's above this, he's above this, he's almost giving the Ephesians nowhere to go. He's actually, you could say, Jesus is above this here, but what about? What about Caesar? Well, he's above that. Yeah, what about the forces in Ephesus? Well, he's above that. What about the, the devil and the demons? He's above that. Do you get it, people? He is above all powers. He is ruling in sovereign authority over all things and he is that powerful that he rules and commands and can deal with anything that comes um, his way. But if we go back to what it said at the beginning, where's that, who's that for? Us who believe. That power is available to us who believe. God is, Jesus is ruling and reigning for us and even says at the end, he brings it back to, he's the head of over all things to the church, which is us. 
So this power that is available in Christ is for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And the point Paul is making that this power of God is most kind of present and most demonstrated where? In the church. That's where Christ is reigning over all things and we know that it hasn't come to complete consummation yet. The the day is coming. We, we, We live between the coming of the kingdom and the wrapping up of the kingdom and we live in this kind of transition period where the kingdom is breaking in and the kingdom is advancing but it hasn't fully been kind of made whole yet hasn't been consummated, Christ hasn't returned, he hasn't dealt completely with all his enemies. He's dealt with them, but there isn't that completeness yet. But he's saying that actually this power that is available is most fully demonstrated and most fully displayed where? In the church. And so where's the spiritual power in, in the earth? It's not in dark corners, in dark places, in tribal magic or you know, shops that sell funny things. It's in the church. That's where it should be demonstrated. That's where it should be outworking in us, through us. And he says that power is available to all who believe. And so whatever situation those believers in Ephesus would have found them in, whatever situation we find ourselves in, that power is available to us. Which I don't know about you, but I find that absolutely staggering. I find it staggering that even a motley crew like us, which there are not a huge amount of us at this stage, we still have access to that same power. There could be ten times as many of us, or half as many of us, and that power is still available to us who believe. It's still available to the church. It's still available to us in our workplaces, our homes. So what does this mean for us? This power is available to us. How are we going to kind of move this force? Well, the first thing is it's here to help us finish the mission that Jesus gave us to. Gave us to. He said, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptise in the name of the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit, and I am with you always to the very end of the age. So this power is available for us to fulfil the mission that God has given us. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when I look at us and I look at what we have around us, we're very small. The ocean is very big and my boat is very small. And I feel a bit kind of, uh-oh. And I felt that when Mel and I first moved here. Because when we moved here, it was just us. We had people who were committing to coming. But someone once said to me, when you're church planting, you don't count anyone until they've arrived. And so when you've moved, and there was me, Mel, and a seven-month-old baby, I suddenly thought, this is it. If no one else comes, this is us. And I felt very small and very vulnerable. And you kind of think, man, where is the power of God? But when I, as I dwelt on this passage, it wasn't a case of, are we going to succeed? How is this going to work? It changed my thinking. It's, how can we possibly fail? How can we fail in what God has called us to when that power is available to us? How can we fail? It's not whether are we going to succeed, are we going to make advances, are people going to get saved, are lives going to get transformed. How can, you, how can you fail when God says, I have complete cosmic power and authority and I've given it to you in the church to demonstrate it to a watching world? And so I got kind of like excited thinking, hey, we can't fail. We, you know, we follow God, we love the Lord, we work at what he's called us to. How can we fail in seeing the kingdom advance in his name? So we're going for us to complete the mission, to see lives transformed. The ultimate transforming would obviously be salvation when someone becomes a Christian, but there are many ways that lives are transformed. People battle um, things in their life, overcome temptation, um, uh, deal with sin, there's healing, there's deliverance, 
All that element is God transforming lives, God breaking in, God making people more like his son. And if we think about what I spoke about last week in terms of looking forward into this term, some of the things we want to do, God's power is available to us as we advance in those things as we walk forward in those things, as we think we need to multiply our life groups, we need to raise up um, more worship leaders, we want to see more people come in, we want to pray for the sick and see them healed, we want to proclaim the gospel and see people saved. All that stuff, the power of God is available to us to do that. On a personal level, when we have to, we are called as believers to personal holiness, God has saved us and we are called to live out a life worthy of that, And actually God says that my power is available to you in your life with whatever you're facing on a personal level. Whatever you're being tempted with right now, whatever you're battling with in your mind, um, things you're trying to overcome, things you're trying to look forward to. If you're doubting in certain areas, you're finding it hard to believe. If you're in that prayer of the the Father who says, you know, I believe, help my unbelief. Or, you know, he says, you know, I believe, but you've got to help the unbelief in me. You know, I don't know what's going on. Whatever situation in, the power of God is available to you in that situation. You might be facing obstacles in your life, practical needs that you feel very kind of acutely in home, in work, in family, in your job. You think, how is God going to overcome that? How is God going to provide that? How is God going to make all those dots line up um, so everything works? The power of God is available to you in those situations. He's available you to work. And we just need to be people who, who see what God has called us to, that the eyes of our heart are opened, what we've got, what's God done in the past, what he's going to do in the future, what's available right now, and take some heart and faith into whatever God has called us to. Okay, a little bit of homework um, as we finish. The first one is um, that prayer in Ephesians, I would like you to make the commitment to pray that for yourself every day this week. Verses 15 to 23. So, how many verses is that? Eight, nine verses? I'd love you every morning to get up, open your Bible, you can put, my one's got all these groovy ribbons that you can just put in, so you can bookmark it. Just open it up and there it is. And you can pray that prayer for yourself in the morning. It would probably take you maybe 30 seconds to pray it. But I'd love you to pray and remember some of the things we've talked about today and say, God, do that in my life. Remember what you've been called to. Remember what you, God's promised in the future and your inheritance. Remember what's available to you right now in terms of the, his power and then enjoy that and then go forward into the day. And what I want to do in just a moment is I'd like to, we're going to kind of respond to this and I want to lead us just in a little bit of a prayer time in terms of I'm going to ask you to think about things in your life that you would like God to, to work in, to move in, to do something in and, and in the back of the fact that this power is available to us who believe, I just want us to bring those things before God and say, God, this is a situation and every one of you will have a different one. Yours will be different from mine and mine from yours and yours from the person sitting next to you. And actually pray, God, that power is available to us. I want you to move. And we'll name a few things before God in your own heart. And you can say, God, work in this situation. Do this. And it could be anything, anything I've mentioned or anything else, where you need God's power to work in your life on an emotional need, a practice. It could be in someone else's life. You could actually have a list of three or four things. I won't know. God knows. So you can bring them all to God. That's fine. And so... The homework as we go out, I'd love you to pray that prayer for yourself every day this week um, as, as, we, um, as we move forward. But also I'm going to lead you in a bit of time now where we're going to bring those things. It'd also be good if you're 
got your, um, if you're into reading, read your Bible, read Ephesians, keep going through that. If you've read it once, read it again. It's only six, six chapters. Um, and keep going because I'll be coming back to Ephesians um, next week. So if you want to stand up, I'd just like to lead us in a little bit of a, a prayer time for that. An emotional need of something for a friend, even it could be healing for you or for someone else. It could be a practical need, thinking, you know, this is coming at work, this is coming in life, I'm dealing with this situation. It could be a, a breakdown in a relationship. It could be a myriad of things. And I'm just going to read that, the, the kind of the prayer again. And then I'm just going to ask us to name it in our hearts before God and I'm going to pray that God would open our hearts to see what's available to us and demonstrate his power in our lives. Um, And then we'll 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 carry on worship together. It says, um, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, he's your Lord and he's your Saviour, that's you according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fulfills all in all. Lord God, I want to thank you for the power that is available to us who believe. Lord, I want to thank you for what you've done in the past, the hope that you've called us to, the fact that we have been chosen, we're your children, we've been redeemed and forgiven, uh, Lord God, that we have been brought into this new family um, of people from every tribe, nation and tongue. Lord, I want to thank you for what's in the future, the hope, the inheritance that we have there. The fact that you've given us the Holy Spirit as a deposit that guarantees that we will have that. We will one day see you face to face. Lord God, and I thank you for the power that is for us who believe right now. Lord God, it's not our power, it's yours, but you have graciously given it to us and we just need to ask, we need to call on you, respond in faith. And uh, Lord, as we bring things to you now, Lord God, we ask you move in power in those situations. We ask you open our eyes and our hearts, give us faith to see you move in those situations, Lord God. So if you've, you've thought of something, just bring it before God now, leave a little bit of quiet. You just name your things before the Lord where you want him to move and demonstrate his power toward leave. Lord, we thank you that you hear our prayers. You hear the ones we say, you hear the ones we don't say. Uh, Lord God, we we thank you that you know us, you love us, we're your children. And Lord God, I stand there and say, demonstrate your power among us. Lord God, even out of what we've prayed today, uh, Lord God, would there be stories of your, your love and your grace and your mercy at work in our lives, Lord? Would there be stories that we can share, you know, at Life Group in the weeks to come where you have moved in power? Lord, and we could point you and say only God could do that. 
Only God could bring about that result. Only God could work in such a way, Lord, that we may honour and glorify your name above everything. Lord, we know that this isn't about us. It's not about our glory and how wonderful we are. It's all about you, Lord. It's all about how wonderful and glorious and majestic you are. We want to say we love you. We worship you. You are a wonderful and amazing God. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.